Welcome to the Take Two podcast, where we discuss highly debated biblical topics. We ask questions you may be afraid to ask. Adjust your safety glasses, because today we are tackling the topic of salvation. What happens when you mix a sharp teenager with a Bible professor who happens to be her mom? You get the Take Two podcast with Emma and Carmen Imes. Special thanks to Prairie College for sponsoring this episode and to you for joining us. Okay, so what does it mean to be saved? Just starting from the beginning, what does it mean? Yeah, so um, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we become part of his family. And it's interesting that we talk a lot about salvation, but we don't often talk about what we're being saved from. Yeah, what are we being saved from? It's not as though someone's chasing us, ready to kidnap us, and then we get rescued or snatched away. So, um, so I'll try to paint a picture, a bigger picture of what happens when we're saved. And then maybe we could talk a little bit about the gospel too. Um, so we begin participating in God's mission to restore what's been lost through human and spiritual rebellion. So we've talked a bit about what happened in the Garden of Eden and the human rebellion against God's rule. Salvation is the process of God setting that right again. So if there's been a brokenness in the relationship, it's being mended. Salvation is a word that we use to talk about a lot of different things though, a lot of different dimensions of what God does as he invites us into his mission. So we, we could talk about healing, restoration, deliverance from sin, bondage to Satan. All of these things are affected by salvation. The Bible uses a lot of metaphors to talk about sin. And so depending on what metaphor you're using to describe sin, then salvation is seen as the opposite of that. Okay, do you wanna break some of those down for us? Sure, so, so one of the really common ones in the Old Testament is sin as a burden. This idea that you're weighted down by the guilt of your sin. And so then salvation is when your sin is carried away or lifted off of you. Okay. Another metaphor is sin as a stain. And then salvation is the cleansing from that stain. So that makes sense. Um, Jesus washes away our sin. He is our laundry detergent. Yes, our spiritual laundry detergent. Um, another metaphor that's used later in the Old Testament in, and on into the New Testament is sin as a debt that needs to be paid. We've incurred a debt through our sin, and then Jesus pays the debt for our sin. So he's... Um, so. This metaphor operates in the financial world, so you've got a lot of um, statements in the New Testament about Jesus uh, reconciling our debts. Another metaphor used in the Old Testament for sin is sin as going astray. So if you think of life as a pathway and doing the right thing is staying on the path, sin is when you veer off the path. And so um, God brings us back through Jesus, brings us back to right living. Um, another one that we see now and then is sin as bondage. So sin is something that, bond, that binds us, and Jesus comes to set us free from that. So any of these metaphors, sin as a burden, sin as a stain, sin as a debt, sin as going astray, or sin as bondage, there's a truth to each of those, right? They each capture part of what it means to rebel against God, and therefore they generate different metaphors to talk about how God makes things right in Jesus. So growing up in Sunday school, I heard a lot of, like, you ask Jesus into your heart, so that way you can be saved and go to heaven instead of hell, mm -hmm. or you become a part of his family. Mm -hmm. So how does that fit with those metaphors? 
Great question. I don't think we've been very careful about how we share the gospel with kids. And by gospel, I mean the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, we have often told children that they need to ask Jesus into their heart. It's as if there's this little door. <laughs> Jesus is, gonna, is the little man who's going to come and live inside. And I think that's misleading because Jesus is not the little man who lives inside. And the Bible doesn't talk about him coming into our heart. It talks about us surrendering our lives to him and becoming part of his family, becoming part of his kingdom rule. So there's been some recent work done on the gospel that I think is really helpful. Matthew Bates wrote a book called Gospel Allegiance, okay. which I really like. And he says, the big news of the gospel, if you read the New Testament carefully, is that Jesus is king, that God's kingdom is being reestablished on earth. When Jesus comes to announce the gospel, he hasn't actually died on the cross and risen from the dead yet. He is still alive. And he tells his disciples to go out and preach the good news. Well, what's the, what good news are they preaching if he hasn't risen from the dead yet? And the good news is God is king and he's coming to live among us again. So Matthew Bates is saying that Jesus is king is the gospel, and therefore our response to the gospel is to express allegiance to him as king, which is another metaphor now to add to the, all the other metaphors yeah. that we've talked about. But I think allegiance is helpful because it's more than just believing something in our heads. Um, sometimes um, when we talk about faith in God as like believing the right doctrines, it stops short of telling us how that affects how we should live. Mm, yeah. And so I think what Matthew Bates has done helpfully is, and, and others as well, is to talk about salvation as allegiance because it's, it's faith in action. It, ha yeah. it actually translates into action. Another phrase that I've heard I, that I really like, this one's from Michael Heiser, is believing loyalty. That it, it, again, it's not just something that is in your head, a certain thing you affirm, but that your life changes as a result of what you've believed. You're now expressing loyalty to God as the true king. Yeah, so you talked about the action um, and how that like affects our actions mm -hmm. and the actions we need to take. What actions like do we need to take? Mm. I would say that all the actions we take fall under the umbrella of representing God among the nations, that we're, we're being part of inviting the nations into uh, believing loyalty or gospel allegiance. And so that action, the actions we take affect every area of our life. It's how we, it's how we drive, it's how we treat our friends, it's how we treat our family members, it's how we do our schoolwork, it's how we um, engage on social media. Like every area of our life is actually part of our expression of bearing God's name or being his representatives among the nations. So that makes it really, really important when doing your day-to-day -day things yeah. that you would think like, oh, like I'm saved now. I don't have to change. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I've witnessed and experienced for myself, a, like I'm saved and just moving on, living yeah. how I did before. Yeah. But that is not what you're signing up to do. Right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not asking Jesus in your heart so that you can go to heaven when you die. It's not like fire insurance, and then whatever you do in the meantime is kind of up to you. It's your own personal life. Yeah. The, the Bible is actually issuing an invitation, a really radical call for us to put everything into gospel allegiance, for us to live as God's representatives every day. Um, we're being invited into a mission that's much bigger than ourselves. 
Yeah, that is so important to think about. Maybe you mm -hmm. need to reconsider how you're living your life. There's a lot at stake. Yeah, so when we come back, we're gonna be talking about how we can lose our salvation or uh -huh. if we can lose our salvation. Yes. So we will see you then. Mm -hmm. And now a word from our sponsor, Prairie College. The Masters of Leadership in Global Christian Education is designed for educators who wish to expand their leadership abilities. The program offers the integration of global, biblical, and technological strategies to incorporate into your curriculum. This degree will equip you to lead and teach from a global Christian perspective, integrate biblical principles and teachings in the classroom, and leverage instructional technology to empower learners to further the Kingdom of God. Building on Prairie's 100-year history as a leader in biblical education, the program will equip you with advanced biblical literacy to apply to your educational context. After you complete the degree, you'll qualify for ACSI's Principal Certification. Start your application to join the 2022 cohort of learners and join a class of emerging education leaders from all over the world. Learn more at prairie.edu slash masters. Looking forward to seeing you in class. Okay, welcome back. So we talked about what it means to be saved mm -hmm. and what we're being saved from. Mm -hmm. um, now we're going to talk about if we can lose our salvation. So this is a highly controversial topic. So we're going to try and be careful, but let's dig into it. All right. So simply put, can we lose our salvation? There are two main views on this. And as you've already alluded, there are really strong opinions out there on this topic. A lot of churches, schools, um, institutions have doctrinal statements that spell out where they stand on this issue. Okay, so I'm gonna introduce you to passages that people use on either side of this debate. First, we'll look at the once saved, always saved camp. Okay. And these are the people who would say you can't lose your salvation. Once you, are, once you belong to God, that's it for life. And they often point to John 10, verses 27 and 28. Okay, so that says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay, so this implies, this is Jesus talking as the good shepherd, and he is saying, like, once you belong to me, like, I know you, and nobody can get you away from me. Nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Okay, so my main pushback on that is, sure, no one can snatch you, but can you yourself leave? Can you leave? And that's where people in the other camp point to passages in Hebrews that imply that you can walk away. That God is not going, I, th I think everybody would affirm, God is not going to suddenly f change his mind about you as though like, well, you know, I've got some new criteria and you no longer qualify. Um, it's not that, but those who say you can lose your salvation say that God will not reject us, but we could reject him. So let's look at a couple of the key passages that they point to from the book of Hebrews. So first Hebrews 3 verse 14 Okay, so that says, 
We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So if, right, we, we come to share in Christ if we hold our conviction firmly to the end, which implies that you could, in fact, walk away from your conviction. It would be similar to the parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the sower, where some seed falls on rocky yeah. soil. It sprouts up, but then the rocks choke it or the weeds choke it. Like it ends, it ends up not persevering to the end. Yeah. There's another chapter in Hebrews that people often point to, and that's chapter 10. So first we'll read verse 23. Okay, so that says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then in verses 26 and 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Okay, so right away I can think of... Um, responses from those in the once saved, always saved camp to these passages. So it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we received the knowledge of the truth, it doesn't necessarily say that this person is saved, but they've been exposed to the truth. They've heard it, but then they keep on deliberately sinning. Um, so you could say, well, this person wasn't saved to begin with, and they're rejecting the message. Um, but this goes on in verse 36 to say you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. And in verse 39, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So the author of Hebrews is clearly concerned about the possibility that somebody would be part of the church community. They would know the truth. They would even be participating in Christian activities but then they would fall away or turn away. So the author is issuing severe warnings to those, severe encouragement, um, motivation to keep on steady and to stay the course. So, so those in the you can lose your salvation camp would say that because the scriptures offer clear warnings not to fall away, that implies that you actually could fall away. Yeah, it's hard to imagine someone who was like so strong in their faith but deciding to turn from God and living a life of sin mm -hmm. that they're still saved. So it's a lot to think about. It is. It is. And so those in the once saved, always saved camp would say, you can't actually know if someone is really saved until the end. Yeah. So yeah. it may look like they're saved, but if they fall away, then that wasn't really genuine to begin with. Which is a scary way to live because if you don't know, then... Like, am I saved? Are you saved? And that's a question that maybe leads to our next important question to talk about. Yeah, so that question is, is there an unforgivable sin? So those who say that they want to follow Jesus, they've surrendered their life to God, they want to be part of God's family, they want to express believing loyalty, gospel allegiance, however you want to put it, often struggle with wondering whether they have crossed a line and could somehow no longer receive God's forgiveness. So this is a really important question pastorally to people who are struggling. And the verse in the Bible that talks about the unforgivable sin is in Matthew chapter 12. So we'll take a look at that. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. 
Okay, so that's sobering. Um, so what is blasphemy against the yes, spirit? What is blasphemy? Yeah, so the, the best way that I've heard it explained is that God sent Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, to accomplish salvation for us. If you reject that work, then there's no other way to be saved. Like if you say, no, I don't, I don't buy that, I don't think it's real, then there's no other alternate mode of salvation. So, the, so therefore, it's the unforgivable sin because, because you've rejected the means for the forgiveness of your sin. Okay, so in my mind, you could say that at like any age, but if you repent and come back from that, like I know at yes. the end of time, like yes. what's done is done, mm -hmm. but until that point... I still see it as a forgivable sin sure. until the end. If you, for a time in your life, reject Jesus' sacrifice, if you say, yeah, I'm not really buying it, I don't really see the evidence for it, this isn't persuasive to me, or I just want to go my own way, and then you, at some later point, realize the error of your ways and say, I actually do believe, I, and I want to be part of God's family, I, want to, I, I recognize that Jesus is king, then your sin is now not unforgivable anymore, right? right? You, you have now accepted the means of forgiveness. Otherwise, any atheist or non-believer could never turn. Right, right. Which All is... of us at some point are in rebellion against God and we turn. I think it's possible to turn more than once. Yeah. Um, but, there, but it's not possible to reject Jesus and there's still to be another way to be saved. So I have some two quotes that I want to read to you from mm, Dr. Yeah. Karen Jobes. She's a New Testament scholar who's done a lot of work on uh, the, the book of John as well as on uh, the letters to the Hebrews, uh, the other New Testament letters. So this is from her, her textbook, Letters to the Church. She says, anyone worried about committing the unforgivable sin or becoming apostate, which is having turned away from your faith, okay. hasn't done so. If you're worried about that, then it doesn't apply to you because apostates are by definition hardened to God and arrogant toward what he has said by the son. Which I think is so nicely put. It is. It's, I find this really relieving. I've met a lot of students who say, like, how do I know if I've committed the unforgivable sin? Like, well, if you're worried about having done it, then you haven't mm -hmm. because you're showing a soft heart towards God. You want to be rightly related to him. She says, the reason the unforgivable sin is unforgivable is that by rejecting the work of Christ as something other than the gracious work of God, one cuts oneself off from the only means of forgiveness and the only salvation that God offers. It is therefore the only sin that cannot be forgiven. That is really good. Um, I think it's helpful. That sounds like a great resource to go to. Are there any more for our listeners today? Yeah, I have a few books with me today to show you. Um, Timothy Keller's book, Generous Justice. Keller does a really good job of showing how being part of the community of faith is more than just mentally agreeing to certain items on a list, but that it actually works itself out in generous justice. He does a great job of tying together the, the mental parts of it, the intellectual part and the action part. Mm, yeah. Um, I also really like Daryl Bach's book, Recovering the Real Lost Gospel, Reclaiming the Gospel as Good News. It's a nice short one. 
If you're interested in hearing more about the metaphors for sin that are used in the Bible, this is a pretty academic book, so I'm not saying like the general population is going to want to necessarily, I'll read it like teenagers might not want to, but if you really want to dig deep, this is a great read, Patterns of Sin in the Hebrew Bible, and this is where I got the idea of those four major metaphors that are being used for sin. And then my book, Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters, um, talks about how our faith in Jesus is entrance into the community of faith and that we become God's representatives. So it's a much bigger vision of salvation than just Jesus is the little guy living in my heart and now I can do whatever I want. <laughs> that is all so helpful. We will be sure to link that information in the description below, mm -hmm. along with ways you can get in touch with us and follow us on social media platforms. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Take Two Podcast. See you next time.